everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast based on writers sitting around drinking coffee, talking about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Welcome to Podcasting in the Time of Cholera. It's a little tinny because we're all on Zoom. Please forgive any animal noises that may wander through. Your host today... Bar Johnson, John Schmidt, a cow named David Welsh, and me, Jeannie Warner. If you look at your um, Zoom display, you will find that it is not David Welsh. I'm sorry. Zaphod Beeblebrox has joined us today, and Thorin Oakenshield. And this is episode 30. I'm sorry. This is episode 42, Life, the Universe, and Everything. We have all the answers today. Uh, what we're going to do is try to figure out what the questions are. In particular, I was out being a literary snob and saying, what does everybody say the elements of a story are? And they have different elements listed by the professors of literature for novels versus short stories versus flash fiction. So today I thought we'd sit down and talk about what they say those rules are and compare them against our favorites of these different genres and see if we can come to any conclusions or finger pointing. Before we start arguing about what the rules are, Please define for everyone what the categories are, because flash fiction to me involves a trench coat and is definitely not PG-13. What is flash fiction? Where are the boundaries we are going to discuss today? If I may push the stack one further, um, something both of you said reminded me that um, you said, John, uh, <laughs> John the Boftist, um, you said uh, categories, and I don't know, Jeannie said something else. I don't listen to her on the best of times. But um, it occurred to me that life, the universe, and everything is Jeopardy. Think about it. Carry on. Life is Jeopardy. And anyone who tells you different is probably in a different novel. <laughs> well... I, I clearly think that I'm the only one that actually has a memory of previous episodes. So for those of you who are listening at home, we have a previous episode where we talked about the length of a novel and what they call it. So if it's over 50,000 words, it tends to be a novel. If it's under six, uh, uh, like five to 6,000 words through 50,000 words, it's a novella, there's a novelette. In particular, most short stories are up to six to 8,000 words, and flash fiction is up to 1,000 words. So how short or long it is that you are to tell your story defines on which of these categories it falls into. So okay. I start, start saying flash fiction. Um, I've written flash fiction and gotten it published for, you have to tell your story under 600 words, and you have to tell your story under 800 words. So... I thought I would run through the flash fiction elements first. Let's go short and sweet. Do it. All right. Basically, you got to have a plot. So a flash fiction piece is a complete story. It's not just a, a character study of me saying, trying to put makeup on using only my computer camera for an image of myself. Not just a salad dressing? Not just a salad dressing. Like... Like its longer pieces of fiction, flashes do need a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, I, 
sure somebody out there says you need to outline it because there's control freaks everywhere in the world, but I don't think you need to do that. But it's got to have an ending. Um, so you've written a scene. It could be part of a longer story or part of a novel. It's not technically flash fiction. It's go finish your novel. Come on, people. <laughs> Second one, characters. Uh, you don't have a ton of space to describe your characters, but your readers should be able to tell them apart. So I've read of flash fictions that are nothing but a conversation, and you don't ever describe anything in the action. So if it's all the conversation, the description of the characters has to be in what they say. And that made me think a little bit of Carol Wolf, if you remember, John, how everything that you want a character to say in your play has to come out through the words of the player. Then the next one is a hook. A flash story needs to start with a compelling scene and keep going. So even if it's all one scene, it still needs to be, what is compelling? Um, so there has to be, compelling means some kind of conflict, an internal or external or both, some kind of challenge that your character is undergoing at that time. And flash fiction also calls a slam-bang finish. So unlike a lot of things that can just end and they lived happily ever after, flash fiction is, holy crap, really? <laughs> so it, uh -huh. think of as flash fiction ends maybe like a joke. It doesn't need to be funny. It needs to be something that the reader didn't really see coming or surprised them or, ah, I see what this is about in the last three sentences. Okay. So basically, those are the uh, the four pieces of elements required for flash fiction. Mm -hmm. What's your What's your favorite flash fiction? Uh, my favorite flash fiction is actually a series of Drabbles published, and a Drabble, of course, is an exactly one hundred word story published at the back of a Miles Vorkosigan novel by Louis McMaster Bujold. Um, and they meet all of those rules quite nicely. My, my favorite is uh, Neil Gaiman, and uh, it was from his book, Smoke and Mirrors, although I've seen it published everywhere, and I bought it on Christmas cards. So because... Neil went on Twitter and said that anyone could read his works online. I want to read it to you guys, okay? Nicholas can was we stop you? No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, you can. Nicholas was older than sin, and his beard could grow no whiter. He wanted to die. The dwarfish natives of the Arctic caverns did not speak his language, but conversed in their own twittering tongue, conducted incomprehensible rituals when they were not actually working in the factories. Once every year they forced him, sobbing and protesting, into endless night. During the journey, he would stand near every child in the world, leave one of the dwarves' invisible gifts by its bedside. The children slept frozen in time. He envied Prometheus and Loki, Sisyphus and Judas. His punishment was harsher. Ho. 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 That's it. That's flash fiction. Yep. I don't, yeah, the thousand word limit seems kind of um, generous to me for flash fiction, but that's not the discussion we're having, so 
Um, no, no, I'm just talking about what I have seen um, on Duotrope and other places that say, hey, flash fiction, limit this many words. Right, right. I mean, yeah, the, it's an arbitrary limit, um, admittedly, but a thousand is getting into short story territory, in my is. opinion. Um, and um, Let's not argue the definition in this podcast, please. I, I don't I care because I here it that. is. Any human being out there that wants to be an editor of a short story anthology is going to decide for themselves what their flash fiction limits are. Mm-hmm. But that one was 102 words, so it didn't even fit the 100, but it's certainly under 500. Oh, uh, you could trim the fat out of that and make it uh, 100 words. Yeah, one fine. Yeah, oh, click. No. Those wouldn't be the ones to trim, but... No, oh, no. And it's got to be ho-ho-ho because people have to understand that this is Santa Claus. Yeah. If they somehow missed it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I think if they missed it, then, I don't know, they have no business reading that story. I don't know. Yeah, so is um, there, a, I mean, is there a plot? Let's, let's stop and apply these rules. Was there a plot? There is definitely a plot, although it is a, to a degree, a meta plot, an eternal plot, which is part of the strength of the story yes yeah okay uh you didn't we didn't really describe what nicholas looked like what he was wearing what he smelled like how tall he was this is the advantage of using we talked in terms of fanfic this uses somebody else's idea the Mm -hmm. iconic figure of santa claus now i want the next person somebody out there to write to us about the easter bunny all right, so that's character. I, I disagree that there's a, a plot in the traditional sense. Um, um, it describe. I think there's a plot because it described a plot. It described a plot. something that happens every year and recurring, and the fact that it used a plot from the mind of the readers doesn't mean it's not a plot. I, what, what's your definition of a plot, then? <laughs> we'll come back to that. <laughs> You can't just assert that it is without, never mind, go ahead. Um, what character, plot, what else? A hook, a compelling hook. scene, and keep going. So the internal or external challenge is, to me, a matter of saying, all right, he's being punished, he is trapped, he is both internally and externally challenged. He doesn't want to mm-hmm. be it, and yet, he has to do it, and they talk about forcing him into the sleigh. That's action. Yeah. All action can be applied. Yeah. Well, I think I think the hook in this case is um, it's clear that uh, it's a sort of a riddle, and you're figuring out what that is. So, you know, about halfway through, you tumble to the fact that it's Santa Claus, and um, by then, you're halfway through a hundred-word story. So, um, the hook works brilliantly. So yeah. that's that's not an issue for me. And the slang bang, slam bang finish, I love ho, ho, ho. And each of those is on a different line, ho. New line, ho. Yeah. New line space, ho. Yep. It, it creates a visual as well of saying this is not the ho, ho, ho of Santa right. Claus or even the ho, ho, ho of death playing Santa Claus from the Hogfather. Yeah. It's... Yep. <laughs> so. It's reluctant and sad and... Um, Despairing. Exactly so. So, your favorite flash fiction, Dave? Does it fit? Um, I can't really. Um, well, uh, th- when you say flash fiction, one story that I read um, a while back, but I can't 
say who it was because I don't remember. It was in an anthology of flash fiction. Um, and I'm going to describe it, but it's going to fall flat because it was a 100-word story and very well written. And um, But the gist of it was, um, in a 100 words or so, um, they set the scene of a, uh, a, a female social worker in a prison um, doing some sort of group session with um, some of the inmates when a prison riot breaks out and they can hear this happening. Um, the inmates who are in her group um, take her into a closet, put her in a big cardboard box on the shelf and say, don't come out until um, everything's quiet. And then they leave and one of them says something like, that's probably the best thing we've ever done. So analyze away. No, I would say that's uh, that certainly falls into the there's action, there's a plot. Yeah. The characters are derived by the setting, so without needing to talk about or describe them, you know, all right, you know their roles, and therefore you can kind of describe what they are. Right, and the slam-bang ending is that they go against um, stereotypes of their roles by doing something um, humane and and nice for somebody <laughs> that's understating the case a little i suppose but yeah um and then i see now if it'd I be mean, me i'd twist it around and think about how the serial killer says am i locked in here with me i mean if, if the if the therapist was an actual serial killer herself I mean, are you locked in with me or am i locked in with you yeah, that's a tangent yeah that's just your twisted mind it's going true. off in a different direction and that's my job so stop no, I would say that there it goes. It's plot, characters, hook, and uh, slam-bang finishes all fit in for those. Right. Now, getting back to Neil Gaiman. All right. Um, I'm, still not, I, I'm still not convinced there's a plot. Also, um, I, um, the cease and desist order will be coming because you read an entire work of his. So no, um, we might have to cut this. Neil very carefully went online when, and said, anybody who wants to read my work online during this time has his blessing. Oh, well, how convenient for you then. I know. It made me think of it. <laughs> as long as it's not used for commercial purposes. We are certainly not. not. <laughs> we are so <laughs> not making money on this. And also, his publisher backed him up on it. Now, moving on from that. Right. So now we've described the elements, Gosh. which I assume these elements will apply across all of these narrative story forms. I do m note that poetry is not... I'm going to say limited to a story narrative. Neither really are any of these forms. But moving on from that, that's flash fiction. Let's look at short story, if, we, if you could, please. Absolutely. Uh, the elements of a short story out there, according to the PhDs of literature, character, again, a person, an animal who takes part, blah, blah. Then they talk about setting. Setting is where you start getting more of details of, where is it in time? What is it in time? Describing it in time. They don't really talk about setting very much in flash fiction because there's just no, there's no space. So it could be a landscape description, scenery, buildings, seasons, or weather. You know, some of the things you use in haiku, you have to have mm. a season. You have to have where is it set? Where is the boundaries? 
Then plot, of course, series of events and actions related to the central conflict, which is the next thing is conflict, which is what is the struggle between the protagonist and whatever. Is it people? Is it things? Is it uh, the forces of nature against society, against boredom by being indoors with a plague? Or is it something inside themselves? Uh, feelings, emotions, illness, this was a piece of what I thought about in, there's two, Elizabeth Moon wrote a really great book called The Speed of Dark about autism. And there was another one called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which is about being a quadriplegic. That can be its own form of conflict is, I, I'm flying, I'm a beautiful butterfly. No, no, I'm a diving bell. So um, Jack London wrote, to build a fire, which I don't know if his copyright or not, so we're not going to read it here, but it's the conflict. And then what we start seeing as an element for a short story is the theme. So theme is where you start getting, what is the central idea or belief? So flash fiction doesn't necessarily have a theme, but when you start getting to short stories, they do want you to have a theme. So, mm -hmm. uh, And then... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was, let's take that off and start talking about the that's, themes of short well, stories. Well, that's five, um, five elements. Uh, is that all there are? Um, yep, pretty much. That's the, the five elements of uh, short stories. Four different I websites agreed. I'll post one. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, I would argue that there also has to be some sort of a resolution to the conflict. I would argue that you are not incorrect, but I think they, because they actually say plot, that mm -hmm. it is covered a little bit more in the plot for a complete story action. Mm, okay, I'll buy that provisionally, and we'll never get back to it, so you win. You know, Dave, you really should just write all this out in a series of blog, the curmudgeons blogs. Oh, you should. You, you put these disagreements up so we can send you horrible emails and comments on your blogs. Because mm -hmm. then we can do this endlessly. But I'm going to propose uh, one of my favorite authors. Does anyone have a guess? Yes, it's Ursula Vernon. Jackalope Wives mm -hmm. has a short story to look at as well. Okay. Well, themes. What are the five categories? Can we do Jackalope Wives, wives first? Sure. Um, you'll have to describe I was going to go over the... Uh, you tell us the story, and then I'll describe the themes, and we'll talk about how it fits. So, Jackalope Wives, for those who haven't read it, give us a short summary. It's fabulous. Wives, for those who haven't read it, was published in Apex Magazine and is available for free. You can also get a version of it read by LeVar Burton, again for free, from Ursula's short stories page, which a link will be included in the podcast in it a um there's a description of the jackalope wives which are the shyest of creatures that come out and dance under the moon there's a lot of description of the beauty of their dancing and a young man attempts to recreate the selkie myth and steals one of their skins to make it his wife and i'm not going to describe the full story here because i'm not going to spoiler it but he encounters a problem and has to go to grandma and grandma fixes the problem and then there is a final reveal 
is that enough uh, effort for us to apply the rules to, or do we need more description? I think it absolutely. Well, um, I, I think we're going to wind up at the end saying, and the rest is an exercise for the reader, but yeah, go ahead. Well, it certainly as you know, setting plot conflict, what do you think the theme is? Because for instance, a theme is, is the story's message, the morals, the lessons, driving concepts. So, so there are themes, there are motifs, there are leap motifs, there are scholars who spend all their time arguing about this. But the theme here might be best um, encapsulated in <laughs> Grandma Fixes Things and You Don't Know the Past History of anyone. Grandma Harkin had settled in for the evening with a shawl on her shoulders and a cat on her lap when someone started hammering on the door. Grandma, Grandma, come quick, open the door. Oh, God, Grandma, you have to help me. She knew that voice. It was her own grandson, her daughter Eva's boy, pretty and useless and charming when he set out to be. She dumped the cat off her lap and stomped to the door. What trouble had the young fool gotten himself into? Uh, and the theme is family and the knowledge of the old, perhaps. The theme is don't mess with wild things too much, perhaps. So possible multiple themes. That's, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with saying, yeah, there's a theme. And, and I would point out that there are implied themes in the, in the flash fiction we described, too. There, there can be, but it's sort of, I, I think I thought of more of like Aesop makes it easy because you know don't count your chickens before they're hatched or right you know. the theme is a, the theme of a parable is it's the moral the lesson yep. lesson yes right yeah, so are, um I wrote, all right so let's i was going to say i i wrote a bunch of stories in well a bunch right i think four for the young explorers adventure guides and yeah. each one of those had the same characters and each one of those I borrowed different plot ideas from old adventure stories that were all about boys and boys in, in the 18th century and then turned it around and made it a girl in space. But the theme of it in a lot of way through is that kids can do so much more than people think they can. Kids can rise to responsibility. Kids can learn faster. Kids can, I mean, there are children in the world you know, we in America said we don't want them mining. We don't want them endangered by the heavy industrial complex, which is good. But we also turn them into we're going to wrap them in bubble until they turn 18 and then suddenly expect them to be adults. And that doesn't work either. So my theme is yeah. my recurring theme is kids can do so much. Look at kids in drum corps. You know, 13 year olds can stand on the Carnegie Hall stage and play something note perfect. And confidently and mm -hmm. and any kid can do that so all right um, yeah so uh, this is probably as good a point as any to um, in any discussion of this type you have to bring up Joseph Campbell bring up Joseph um, Campbell and I I just brought him up you can put him in the liner notes that's all I'm saying <laughs> <laughs> I you know, it's it dens the rules. I don't make the rules. The rules is the rules. But he wrote some of the definitive work on um, story and plot and story types and all that kind of thing. So there you are. Yeah, it's 
Theme is the trickiest one, I think, to pin down with the definition. That the hard part is making sure that it speaks to everybody innately. It's not the plot. It's not the conflict. It's not the concept. So theme is tricky. Well, we could have like a whole thing talking about theme. We could, and we should sometime. But let's take it from the top. Um, <laughs> character. Um, Jackalope wives, character. What do we got? We've got Grandma. She's a character. She's uh, originally based on a stereotype, but then turns out not to be a stereotype. Am I correct? Uh, it's it's difficult. It, hmm. I have to be disagreeable with you because that's the mode you've you've completely flipped into. Grandma's grandma. She's just. You could call her a stereotype because she or wise women like her show up a lot of in Ursula Vernon's stories. But well, not just Ursula Vernon. The the Baba Yaga can be kind. The Baba Yaga can be cruel. But the Baba Yaga is bitchy and fed up with your shit. <laughs> yes, there you go. Okay. So definitely character. There's plot. There's certainly plot and setting. Setting, certainly... I always got a very old westy feeling to it. Yeah, then specifically southwest, where you could have coyote and rabbit and jackalopes and in in this particular story the uh a snake equivalent shows up although i will not name them here yeah yeah um okay so that's setting so there's definitely plot, plot. Mm -hmm. conflict there, there's there are multiple conflicts the conflict um an almost thematic conflict, the conflict between civilization and nature, the conflict between old ways and new ways, the conflict within family where you love them, but you want to brain them with a poker for the mm -hmm. stupid thing they, they've done, and the conflict of your past versus your commitment versus your present. You know, the eternal conflict of I love you, you stupid get. Oh, it checks all the boxes. It really does. <laughs> well done, Ursula. <laughs> All right, this, let me move on then and say when we are talking about novels, what are the elements of a novel that are even bigger? Well, this was looking up at somebody's homework. Again, I went to the, the PhDs of what are they teaching in the Ivy Wald universities on the topic. So their first one was talking about narrator, the f mind from which all aspects of the story are told. and. Interestingly, there can be multiple narrators in some novels, and for some people, I, there's, I, I was reading and finding there is violent disagreement on this topic. There are some people that say, you have to be able to give other perspectives, and then, like, well, do you really? Because if all of this is my perceptions, like, let's think of, I, I was starting to think of uh, who has, who stuck faithfully to one, and that pretty much was Ready Player One. It was all about him, right? So, the narrator of the story. Yeah. Well, anything written exclusively in first person arguably only has one narr narrator, right? Exactly, but so is it easier then to slip into challenge in third person because if third person, omniscient, limited, is third person making you enough distance that you feel confident you can juggle two narrators? 
Now I remember Robert Heinlein's uh, Number of the Beast I read somewhere in high school. And each chapter had a different narrator. So, Uh yeah. Number two, interestingly, they moved it up in importance. They talk about theme as number Mm -hmm. two, and the way it was described as one or more uh, direct or indirect statements about the human condition. So they are very specific about human condition as evidence through the work as a whole. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that makes a lot of sense because novels – if a novel isn't exploring a theme, then there's no excuse for it to be novel length. I was looking at some things that like were made into movies, the ones where like aliens came down and were anchored in district is it district nine? Yeah. That's a pretty strong theme of saying what segregation is like and what the haves and haves not differences. Yeah. Right. Well, as a South South African novel, one would hope so. Yeah. Um, the the interesting thing to look at here is what themes resonate out of some of the high fantasy, such as let's claim a classic Lord of the Rings, um, because the themes there seem to be technology bad, you call it English countryside good. Uh, perhaps I am prejudiced. <laughs> perhaps. Well, then it goes into plot, and they say the series of events which make up a story, which this is practically feeling J. Edward Pritcher. Conflict, climax, denouement, and conclusion. Really, I just like saying denouement. Climax. Denouement. Denouement. I prefer it when she says it. Wait, denouement. wait. Transvestite yeah, melodrama. Yes, that's what she said. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So it's basically what is the result of the climax? What happens out of that? The final scene, the chapter, clarifications, you know, in, in, if I take apart some of my favorite uh, Sherlock stories, the denouement is, can actually be longer than the actual story involving Watson and Holmes, which made me sad. But well, So one of the things we're not bringing up a lot right here is that styles change. I, I mean, the concept of flash fiction is very recent. And when you... It, when you go back and, and look at different literary forms, again, of course, I'm prejudiced on the poetry front, there are different definitions. So a denouement that takes longer, that you can savor longer, in a periodical story makes a lot of sense, especially when you're paid by the word. But it also gives you more of a teaching moment. The stories that inspired you in your Young Adventurer series were circulated in weeklies and meant to be um, short stories chained together showing character. There was a, a big oh, push starting. longer. <laughs> yeah. There was a big push then, though, for uh, stories to be like biblical stories that would teach you how to behave in the world as a youth. Yeah. And we, we don't um, have that focus quite that way because so many of those stories, in fact, turned out to be lies. And that has a negative effect. Well, for me, it was kind of fun to say, how do I tell Watership Down as a story in 6,000 words? How do I tell Treasure Island as a story in 6,000 words? It's hard 6,000 words for Treasure Island? You can't even describe the, the, the scenery in 6,000 words. <laughs> you can. You totally can. Mm. So. Uh, well, of course, for me, it's always Muppet Treasure Island. So. Oh, I'm, well, there I'm, you go. 
So back to the novel thing. Let's see. We've got, got narrator, theme, plot, <laughs> setting. We've discussed oh. setting. Interestingly, this adds a new one, saying tone, the general attitude of the author toward the characters or subject matter of the book. And this one made me sit back for a moment and say, ooh, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, what are my feelings on the topic? Because my feelings in this are a little bit of, it's wrapped around the idea of theme, but it really puts the gaze into sharp relief of saying, do I look down on it? Do I admire it? Do I think there's problems with it? What is my attitude as the writer? And this is, I think, a huge matter that we're going to start seeing delicious, wonderful change as I, different identity writers start getting out there. Like, can, I, can I pose a um, working definition of theme versus tone? Yes. Um, theme is what we have already described. Theme is um, uh, a, a lesson or a, um, a relation of the plot to um, some general universal truths. Tone is uh, your or anyone's emotional reaction to that. And I think it would be interesting to chat about how tone affects gaze. I mean, Kate Elliott, we've referred to it before, and her brilliant essay talks about the male gaze through omniscient breasts and the assumption of the reader being white, male, heterosexual, fully cis physically even. capable, cis male, fully yeah. capable. Fully abled. Fully abled. And that can be affected by the tone of the the author toward the characters, the author towards the theme. What is the view of the reader? Because the tone very much takes the reader with them. And I'm going to have to start going back and contemplating what is the different tone on different ideas. So I might be forced to actually blog myself on this topic. Uh, and then... Well, the that also explains why um, certain... I mean, you... you, you like you've said before, if, if you don't identify with the protagonist, you'll put the book down after five pages, right? No. So two. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, I, that's actually not the way that I feel because I don't have to identify. I read Shogun. What do I have in common with an English navigator? Nothing. Well. <laughs> I don't have to identify with them. I have to have them avoid the most horrific sexist stereotypes. Okay. A subtle but, but important difference. Okay. Um, I withdraw my objection, Your Honor, for, this, for the sake of <laughs> speed. Let's go. Yeah. I was going to say, um, it's more of a matter of, I guess that comes if you're reading and searching for romance novels or porn, because then I do want something that I can at least vaguely relate to or that excites me to read about. But it's not something that I need in a novel. I just need to have it not be fucking annoying at the very beginning. <laughs> well, my, my point was not that it's annoying you or that it's, um, although it, to, a, to an extent it's because it's um, rubbing up against your values and you're, you're having a, a fairly strong emotional reaction to that. So, you know, the same, the same theme written from two different points of view can have two different tones. And one of those 
stories you'd be perfectly happy to read and one of them you wouldn't and they would have exactly the same plot, the same facts in them. It's true. Gone with the Wind is harder to read now than it was in 1975. Yeah, yeah. Time, time has an effect on that too. That's true. It does. And then, of course, naturally, they end with uh, characters and point of view. We only touched in briefly, but it's true, the perspective, first person, third person, second person. Uh, N.K. Jeminson does some things with second person and does it better than anybody else so far. I still don't love it. I'm sorry. But it's, it's something that when, I get, when you get to a brand new point of view that you've never read a lot of, it can hang you up. So if you're going to use that sort of thing... Pick how you do it carefully. Well, it's like experimentation in any art. It's um, it's the exception for a while, and then it becomes more accepted as, um, I don't know, the art evolves, I guess. Well, it's also how well it's done. Like third-person omniscient, I don't enjoy that much. I, although... Right. <laughs> It, I don't remember the book I was reading. There was one that was told from the point of view of the station computer, and it knew and saw everything. So, mm-hmm. versus limited. I don't know what you do as you go around the corner. So, from the point of view of that character, I can't see that you then took out a gun and hid waiting for me, unless it's omniscient. Right. Yeah. So those are those are the the different elements of the different lengths. I am betting that novellas and novelettes fall under novels. Kind of, I would put them under novels, honestly, yes. because rather than kind of expanding the short story, because I think once you hit a certain amount of distance, you've got to have your your theme and tone and down. Because if you don't have your theme and tone down. Why am I reading this? What was the driving point of it? Because plot, okay, my plot is different than the other plot in the beginning of the history of time. It's not. Honestly, I, I think all of the elements exist in all of the categories, in yeah. all, all of these narrative storytelling forms, this particular set of written or spoken narrative. And the fun thing is that uh, these arguments are interesting because they are all focused on narrative stories as opposed to mood stories, as opposed to a poetry. And um, the writer advice is not you have to have these because you can't not have these. There is mood and tone and themes in a drabble. You just yeah. don't have enough words to refine them, but they're there. So yeah. as a writer, I say um, be aware of these things but don't be limited by them. And I'm thankful that we had time to go over them. But I'm also going to write a blog post that says Zaphod. <laughs> Stop. Well, for, we, we do end on a, a note of agreement, though, because I, I do agree that all these elements um, exist. Some of them, sometimes they're implied in the shorter forms, but they, they all do exist and they all have to exist for it to be what and, it is, fiction. And I think it's important to know the uh, the rules so that you can break them and know what you're doing because broken rules are fun too, but if you don't know the rules at all, it's very difficult to read. True story. Okay. All right. 
We were going to put links to the stories and other interesting things we've mentioned on our website, which is www.ridersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can find us on Facebook as well, or Twitter, or iTunes, or Stitcher. We answer email. We love email. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre McGaffey Schweden. And our sound engineer and backup web spider and occasional host, Curmudgeon, is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Made Milking a Cow. And our exit music is Breakfast with the Morning Person, both by Michael Engberg. You can hear more from Michael Engberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsor is Jekyll Designs, enabling you all to be able to buy cool WDC swag, including our new Red Coffee is the Best Coffee t-shirt and other quotes that Jekyll finds interesting and puts up on our t-shirts for you. Thanks for listening. <laughs>